from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your lot, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hiya to all of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you, checking us out on the Conspiracy Show podcast, available wherever you get your fine podcasts. And, of course, our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And those of you in the live YouTube chat who join us every week without fail. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Steve Ubaney is an historical researcher and a suspense writer and the author of the Who Murdered series of books. His latest is Who Murdered Diana, a crash by design. Um, we've, been, we've been talking about some of the suspects. We, we talked about uh, Trevor Reese Jones, the, um, the bodyguard who uh, miraculously survived the crash, uh, although um, broke with protocol by doing up his seatbelt when no one else's seatbelt appeared to be working, and then conveniently claimed he didn't remember anything after the fact. Uh, perhaps a rogue element inside uh, MI6, perhaps a, uh, a an enemy of uh, Dodi Fayed or Mohammed Al Fayed. Who else is on your radar in terms of a suspect that I haven't mentioned? Well, we haven't mentioned Prince Philip. Absolutely, Prince <laughs> Prince Philip is a guy who can make a lot of things happen with one phone call. This is a very highly connected person um, in the royal family. There's something else I wanted to add that was suspicious about the car. If we can just you know, yes, regress here for a second. Uh, it was a Mercedes Benz. Mercedes Benz offered to examine the car and give a non-biased report, a third-party report as to what happened. No one would let them near the car. So I thought that was uh, they offered on multiple occasions when it was, was being researched and investigated and this and that. And they said we'll send a team out. So give us the car. We'll send a team out, and we'll we'll go through the car with a fine-tooth comb and see if there was anything suspicious or anything wrong or anything that had to do right. with the failure right. of our automobile. You know, they wouldn't let him anywhere near the car. But to me, that's a little goofy. So the the Paget inquiry or the the Lord Stevens inquiry, did they examine the car? I mean, they didn't let Mercedes examine the car, but what about the inquiry? Did they look at the brakes, for example? Did they examine to see if there was anything mechanically wrong? But to my knowledge, they didn't examine it at all. They didn't even send anybody out there to look at the skid marks to figure out how fast they were and do the math and figure out how long they were. I mean, it's the amount of evidence that was missing from this report is it's really it's it's incredible really how you could come to a conclusion uh, and put the final uh, you know exclamation mark on someone's death without doing any sort of real evidence and research. But again, I have to come back to this this confirmation bias. Don't look for things that you don't want to find. We have to wrap things up in a tidy little bow. You know, the lie is usually the loudest voice is usually a lie. I've noticed this. You know, after the loudest voice, then the truth comes along in whispers. And it's when those whispers happen that people like me get involved and we start to investigate things. But the first one out of the gate, people like to be everything to be wrapped up in a little tight package. You know, Lee Harvey Oswald shot John F. Kennedy, case closed, next case. And, of course, now there's a lot of evidence of, uh, uh, to support that there was more than one shooter. If 
while they're still trying to, you know, figure that out. In this situation, you know, oh, it was a drunk driver. Case closed, next case. You know, they like to hang these little labels on things to get people to move along. And, and, and sometimes it's very, very difficult for that. And, you know, when you have when you have Princess Diana dying in a car and you won't let anyone examine the car, that's beyond that's tolerance to me. Very, very suspicious. So uh, either they perhaps fix the brakes or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it would be fairly simple to um, cause a sudden acceleration uh, in the automobile without stepping on the gas, and that may have explained why Henri Paul lost control and hit hit the uh, the thirteenth column under the uh, the Alma Bridge. Yeah, there's you know somebody said there's uh, six hundred feet of wiring in an automobile. That's a lot that can be screwed with. So there's any number of systems in an automobile that you can tamper with. I'm not suggesting that they, that happened, but I'm saying that hypothetically, there's a lot of things that you could do to a car to create a crash. And, you know, again, I mean, you just go back into the track record. You know, the, the boyfriend died in, in, a, in, <laughs> in a car accident. You know, her first boyfriend, who was a security officer that was in charge of her, she had brake failure in 1995 driving an Audi. She wrote the, lo- the note that said she was going to die in a car accident. She dies in a car accident. You know, I mean, what do we need? A piece of Skylab to fall on us? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> how do you how do you even look at this and not realize that there's something going on here? Just, All right, just- let's uh, let's go to the phones and we'll welcome Bob from Fenland Falls, Ontario. Bob, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? I just wanted to call uh, regarding the fact that Diana was apparently 10 to 12 weeks pregnant. That that wasn't possible. Um, she, at the time, if she had been with Hazmat, uh, sorry, with Hazmat Khan, uh, she and he had actually broken up uh, due to the fact that he was a very private man and um, wasn't willing to put his uh, life out in the open because then be, literally become Mr. Princess Diana type thing. But I don't see how she was pregnant, and it was also in the autopsy report stating that. They had done uh, blood work looking for the pregnancy hormone, and it was at normal levels. Well, yes, that's the question, though. Do we believe the royal court coroner who said there was no indication that she was pregnant? Uh, But then one has to ask, you know, why the rush for a partial embalming? Well, the the other thing, too, is is that uh, when it was stated that she uh, she was the least injured, from what I read and from what the research I've done, I'm a monarchist, I will be honest with you. Um, but from what I have read, um, she had like massive internal bleeding, a punctured lung, uh, broken ribs, a broken arm. Uh, but for some reason, when the body was viewed by Charles and or Prince Charles and others, her family, they all said that she looked normal. But even so, there was uh, the doctors had said that when she came in, she was really badly beaten up on the inside. Right, right. But what about the, the, the so-called protocol uh, that they use in France where they, they try and stabilize the person, person at the scene uh, and they would actually pull the ambulance over in an attempt to stabilize her versus the American or North American version, which is, the, is uh, they call it scoop and run. Right. You, you, you get that person to – if you suspect internal bleeding, you're not going to solve it in the back of an ambulance, certainly not pulled over on the side of the road. you got to get that person to ER as, into surgery as quickly as possible. Well, they, they also stated that uh, when she was en route from the accident site to the, to the hospital, 
Um, she went into cardiac arrest at least once. They managed to pull her back, and then they got her to the hospital, and then, of course, they rushed her into surgery, and we all know what ultimately happened. Right. But um, the fact was, I, I honestly believe, in my in, in my opinion, I believe it was just a tragic accident. She was a, you know, she was hunted, and mercilessly, like the, the, the paparazzi were on her, you know, 24-7. They wouldn't leave her alone. And I think what ultimately happened here was that she was just um, in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it was just a tragic accident. Right. Well, the paparazzi were exonerated, and the, the blame really was placed on Henri Paul. Mm-hmm. All right, Kyle. Thank you for that. I appreciate okay. it. Did you want to add anything to that, Steve, before we move along? No, I uh, I ran across all the same evidence of the caller uh, that Kyle ran across. I don't, frankly, don't care if she was pregnant or not. I don't think that had anything to do with it. There are some pretty good, pretty good pictures that suggest that she had quite a baby bump going on. Who the father was, I don't know, and I don't care. Um, but you know, that's I believe that that was any sort of motive in this. Uh, but if they were claiming how the how the question was posed was you know do you believe that this was uh, Dodie Alfied's child and in the time allotted it wouldn't have if in fact that happened there wouldn't have been any sort of time that matched the baby bump that was apparent in the photograph right um, as far as that's concerned and again Princess Diana was hurt pretty badly. You know, I don't doubt that um, they uh, that she had internal bleeding. I don't doubt that she had a broken arm. I don't doubt that she had any sort of multiple contusions and lacerations. I'm sure she did. She was in a, a high-speed car accident. But I don't think there's any defense for if she was that broken up inside, they would have taken her to a closer hospital or the hospital. You know, look, what goes on in the back of an ambulance has nothing to do with how fast they're going. It makes no sense. It doesn't add up. You know, if right. you if, know if that she had, you've got somebody who was in cardiac arrest. Right. Sorry. Right. Just keep dry. No, I, I'm just going to, I was just going to add. Yeah, sure. If, if, if the person is, if you're going to lose that person you and you're going to apply the paddles, you know, to, uh, to, to resuscitate them, you, it, you don't need to stop. I don't see why you need to stop the ambulance and pull it over to the side of the road. It makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense. You know, and if she was broken up that badly, it wouldn't have taken him an hour plus to get her to a to a hospital. It just none of it adds up. It doesn't make any sense. So, Kyle, thanks, and I can tell that you really looked into this, and I appreciate your call. All right, let's say hi to Melanie here in Toronto. Melanie, welcome. Hi, I just want to have the callers ask themselves: Have have do they believe that people agree to do wrong? Because the definition of conspiracy here in the dictionary is an agreement to do wrong, a plot. So I'm sure that in this world, millions of times a second, people are conspiring to do wrong to others. So people who don't believe in conspiracy should look up the definition in the dictionary. Uh, but I remember reading a book lately on the Tsar and how he was executed and his family. Well, before he was executed, they were on a train, and they were going to, after they could have survived, but the English crown refused to take Nikki because they were concerned. And this is historically not by quote-unquote conspiracy theorists, but that they did not want the competition of uh, Nikki coming back to England and possibly his family uh, claiming uh, part of the throne or, or the wealth or whatever that was there. 
So I, I, I truly believe that there's all these possibilities. But the other thing is, in our personal lives here in, in Canada, we know that there are certain institutions that do conspire to do wrong. They know that they've done wrong, and the chiefs higher up do nothing about it. For example, on W5 the other day. Okay, I don't want to get too far, far adrift from what we're discussing. Yeah, yeah but I'm just trying. saying that people have to ask themselves, do people conspire to do wrong? And also, was there insurance on Princess Diana? Could it have been somebody who who wanted to collect the insurance? Not that she was poor or the English crown was poor, but it could have been as simple as that. Maybe they wanted insurance on Dodi Fayette or insurance on the driver or the other guy. And maybe this that's what this was all about. All right, Melly, thank you as always. Good to hear from you again. Thank you. What about the idea that, again, if we're thinking about, you know, you mentioned France and England had been have been at war multiple times for hundreds of years. Uh, is it possible that some rogue element with inside the French government saw an opportunity to knock someone off from the British royal family, even though, you know, they were estranged and, and decided, you know, to, to do that? I think anything's possible when you come to something like that. Like I said, I think we have to come to the realization that there are bad people in this world, and they do, you know, share motives. Um, you know, we're, there are different, um, Melanie, there are different uh, um, definitions of conspiracy. Um, the legal definition of conspiracy here in America is an agreement between two or more people to commit an illegal act that, you know, may be judged illegal in the, at, the, at some point in the future. So there are different definitions depending. Of course, we're dealing with different countries, so there are different, uh, there are different definitions out there. But uh, sure, anything's possible. I don't, uh, I haven't looked into that as far as, um, you know, looking into um, if insurance money was, uh, you know, she mentioned that. That's interesting. I never thought of that. Never looked into that. Um, it might have been just something between the French and English government where they had a chance to take both of them out. I think personally that I think it was a twofer. I think it was an opportunity to get both of them at one time. And I think that there were murderers involved, not one. I think that this is well contrived. And I think that it was beyond the scope of both governments. And we have, you know, since one of the French and English cover up for each other. That's an interesting point. Very, uh, very interesting. Let's talk about the, uh, the, uh, the family tree here. And the, the Spencer family, I believe, could trace their genealogy back to the Stuarts, maybe even further back to the Tudors. One could argue they had a legitimate claim to the throne, more, more of a legitimate claim than, uh, Saxe-Coburg-Gotha or the Windsor family. Did you look into that? I actually did. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about that. I don't know. I, I don't know how the the uh, the royal family ended up being in that position and not the other one because the Spencer family is their lineage is just as impressive as the other ones. So that's yeah. I did. I did look into that. That was very. Uh, I'm actually still looking into the lineage because right. I believe that there's more there. Than, than meets the eye. You know, I mean, this okay. is a beast with ten heads we're working on here. Let's say hi to Lloyd in New Jersey. Lloyd, good morning. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm well. I've been listening to some of this show. Very intriguing. I've known most of these things. It's definitely uh, a beast with ten heads, as you just said. Um, now, listen, the royal family, as you see it right now, is falling apart. And there's been a lot of embarrassment for decades. 
And my personal opinion concerning Diana specifically was her relationship with Fayed, Dodi Fayed. It would bring uh, shame upon the royal family. Mm. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I think that's how it was viewed. I definitely tend to lean towards the, you know, conspiracy to murder side. Now, I just want to throw an idea out there. Because right now, you have a similar thing going on with Prince Harry, somebody from outside the fold, with Meghan Markle. <laughs> so I have no idea where any of this stuff is going to wind up. But they don't call the British the bloody British for nothing. All right. Lloyd, thank you for that. Yes. Appreciate your call. Uh, I don't, I don't quite understand how the royal family would have been concerned or why the royal family would have been concerned with an ex. Well, she was a princess. She, she retained her title, but she was no longer, you know, the, um, I, no longer a threat to them as far as I can tell. And simply because she was what? Marrying them or dating. Dating. Let's be clear about this. She wasn't marrying. She was dating a Muslim. So what? Um, now, had she become the queen mother and her consort was uh, a Muslim, then maybe, I don't know, um, you know, might have been a threat to the Church of England. I, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. What do you think, Stephen? Well, I don't know. I think Lloyd raises a really good point. Um, the royal family is falling apart. They are trying to assert rules and live by rules in a higher echelon that are tending to not apply anymore. Uh, and look at Harry and look at, look at what's going on right now. You know, um, and Harry, for if what I read is correct, is so traumatized by uh, his mother's death that he's still in therapy for it. Well, so this raises heart, a good question. Yeah. Your heart you has think- to just bleed for this kid. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. But as far as, you know, they need to keep up appearances to make them, to justify the royal, you know, the crown and all of that. They have to be different and special and higher echelon. And for them to be tarnished in a certain way, for them to, you'd have to realize now there are kings and kingmakers. If she was, this is two Muslims in a row now, correct? Hazlitt Khan, I believe, was a Muslim, and so was this other person, if I'm not mistaken. Right. You know, there are powers at play here where, you know, the world was much, much bigger back then. It's small today. It's been connected with a lot of different things. Back then, the world was a little bit bigger, and we weren't, we're not going to play with their country and their religion because it puts in jeopardy some of the wars that we might have going on. It puts in jeopardy a lot of trade. You know, the British, you know, they, they're pretty good in trade. There's a lot of things that could come in, uh, in, in, into question if that was to happen. You know, here we have someone who was married to Prince Charles, who's on British television calling him everything but a white guy, and here she is. I mean, she's just, she was just disgracing the royal family all over the place. All right, we'll take another quick time out, Stephen. On the other side, more of your phone calls, more of my conversation with Steve Ubaney, the author of Who Murdered Diana. Back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. It sounds like the stuff of a uh, Le Caire novel or a Fleming novel. Did the intelligence... 
agencies within Britain and France perhaps co-conspire to knock off or assassinate Princess Diana. Uh, Steve Ubaney is my guest, the author of Who Murdered Diana, and uh, his series of Who Murdered Books can be ordered from whomurderedbooks.com. This is the fourth in the series. Uh, who Murdered Elvis, and then the fifth anniversary, and Who Murdered FDR, again, Who Murdered Diana, the uh, the fourth in the series. How how many will there be uh, eventually, Steve? How many Who Murdered books? Well, there's going to be five subjects and, and, of course, six books connected to one Elvis. So Tesla is coming out later this year and because uh, his death was very suspicious. And I'm going to wrap it up next year with, uh, I can't believe I'm going to put my nose in the JFK trough, but I just have to. Um, there's some new evidence there that nobody has uh, has come across. So there's going to be there's going to be six books all told. Uh, I remember when I was uh, in London, and we this was in 2010. We were doing uh, season two of the TV show, and I went into Harrods, and uh, at that time I can't remember. Yes, it was still owned by uh, the Fayed family, and um, there was a uh, a display of the engagement ring, the supposed engagement ring that Dodie had bought for Princess Diana. Uh, although, uh, I, friends of Diana's have, have come forward and said, um, they asked her, do you think he's going to give you a ring? And she said, well, if he does, it's going firmly on my right hand, which means people, I guess, they wear the engagement on the, on the left. So it's going firmly on my right hand, meaning I am not marrying uh, Dodi Fayette. And apparently no ring was presented to her, as far as we can tell. So, um, it's been suggested then that Muhammad Fayed, uh, sort of played up this idea that his son, his late son, had proposed to Princess Diana. Uh, let's say hi to Judy. Judy's in New York. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show, Judy. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I'd like to make a couple of comments. I lived in Europe uh, for four years, and I drove that tunnel three times. It's the tunnel under the city of Paris. And all of that area is well lit with amber lights and other types of lighting. And when they showed the photograph of that car that was damaged, it was up against the wall on the opposite side of the road, which means any motorcycles on that side, the driver's side, they would have been crushed. So I don't know where they went to. But according to the photograph, the doors on Diana's side, you could open, which was the passenger side, and also the uh, the guard, whoever he was, in the front seat. Uh, and the doctor, the first person up there who got there first, he said that uh, she was very badly uh, hurt, and her heart was even almost out of her chest. I don't know if uh, if you looked into that or not. I know you just mentioned injuries and that. Right. I and also, having the car behind the hotel, I stayed there with my mother once. You can park the car in the back. But the point is, the driver always stays with the car or the guards. And they also said that it wasn't just the accident, because when you drive through that tunnel, it is all curves, and you cannot pick up speed like that. And the car, as they said, looked like it had been bombed. There was a bomb underneath, and maybe that was the smoke or whatever it was that was uh, in his blood or whatever they decided the driver. Ah, I just wanted I just wanted to mention that because I have been to Paris three times. I know the area. I stayed at the hotel, and uh, there is no way you can pick up speed to seventy five miles an hour. That's interesting. 
So you've driven that that tunnel under the Elma Bridge, and it's very windy. Yes, I have. Under okay. the, it goes under the city. I always drove it at 3 o'clock in the morning because it's the easiest way to get into Paris because of the traffic on the Champs-Élysées. Fascinating. That I wasn't aware of. All right, Judy, thanks for that information. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Good, good, good show. Thank you. I appreciate it. A bomb. What do you think of that, Stephen? Have you come across that theory? I actually have heard uh, there's there's a, an eyewitness out there that that had suggested that. Um, uh, Judy, that's that's phenomenal. Um, I you know I have not been to the tunnel. I know people who have been to the tunnel. You're another person who said the exact same thing. You can't get to that speed in that tunnel. So there was something else going on, and you know what what were they running from? It, it just the whole thing doesn't make any sense. The whole the whole paparazzi thing doesn't make any sense. Princess Diana was flirting with the pop. She was posing for pictures. You know, she was always you know in limos and, and giving people million dollar shots that they were selling to to the to the tabloids and so forth. And people were making their entire livelihoods on taking pictures of this woman who had these piercing blue eyes and this beautiful plume of hair. You know, she was very photogenic, and she played it up. And all of a sudden, are afraid of photographers? Makes no sense to me. So, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I have heard that before. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was a great input, Judy. Thank you for your call. Let's say hi to Mike in Mississauga. Mike, good morning. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Uh, interesting topic. Thanks for taking my call. Three points to make. First, uh, Princess Di, I think she was foolish into thinking that she could actually find happiness with Dodi Fayette. And maybe she was just attracted to him because he had enough wealth to keep her, you know, out of the, out of the, the paparazzi's view. You know, he could protect her with his wealth. My second point is, the bodyguard, I mean, the driver, if the driver was that inebriated, wouldn't the bodyguard have noticed that? Wouldn't he have smelled his breath? Wouldn't he be checking that all out? Isn't that isn't that what a bodyguard Excellent security point. does? Excellent point, Mike. Yes. And my third point is that um, um, I heard somewhere that um, when they got her to the hospital, she was still alive. And that the actual French, the French doctors in the hospital were surprised that she had died because they they thought that her condition was, was well enough that she could have pulled through um, during the surgery. And that didn't British doctors come in and actually attend to her after the after the French, and, and they thought that maybe they had killed her? I've heard so many conflicting reports. I don't know what to believe. Steve, unravel that for us. Were there British surgeons on the scene? To my knowledge, it was only French on the scene, and the British came in afterwards and examined the body and said, you know, there was no way that she should have died to this. That's not to suggest that she wasn't in, bad, in a bad way, but she should have survived that crash. Beyond question, she should have survived. Um, and, you know, you, you raise a really good point. That bodyguard was, or, I'm sorry, the driver, Henri Paul, was not intoxicated. They have him on, fit, on video walking up and down stairs, tying his shoes. If he was as inebriated with alcohol and or, um, you know, whatever was in his system, whatever else was in his system, um, carbon monoxide, he would have been comatose. Something doesn't add up. It just doesn't wash. I believe you know, I mean, family members of, uh, of, of Henri Paul's uh, stated categorically he was no more than a social drinker. Absolutely. Yep. And they've actually 
they actually have, there's been one investigator in particular who interviewed the people who saw him that night before he got in the car. And he was talking and walking around. You know, he had a couple of drinks, but they were, you know, they were like, they were light fruity drinks. They were nothing heavy. And he was walking and talking as usual. So I don't know where this is coming from. But there's been, you know, I just want to say that this has been researched and written about and re-researched and written about for 20 years. I'm definitely not the first one who's looked into this stuff. So all of this, most of this is out there. There's a little bit of new information out there. So my book's going to be a little different than what's already out there. But there's been some tremendous work done in this field. So a lot of this information has been covered in, uh, you know, in, in some of the other work. But uh, it's a shame that John Morgan's not with us anymore. He uh, he really did some he did some tremendous work in this field for sure. So Mike and Mississauga, thank you for that. Uh, let's do. I have time for another one? Yeah, one quick call here. Adrian's in Scarborough tonight. Adrian, good morning. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Thanks, Richard. Quick question for Stephen. Um, in all of this, I gotta I, I gotta think that is there anything about Prince William or Prince Harry having any suspicion or any insight into possibility that their mom was murdered i mean i out of all out of all people those two i would imagine have got to you know assuming that this is the case would have some kind of um insight into that or suspicion or even anger about that uh anything on that that you came across uh thanks for your call um i did not come across anything like that and i can't speak for them um i if one thing that i did hear was that harry was was uh you know was was still in, in therapy. And the two boys were different. Uh, William was much more like Charles. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Next week on the program, Dr. Cass Ingram will be uh, here to talk about coronavirus. COVID-19 is now being uh, called. And also, uh, L.A. psychic Sloan Bella will weigh in with her own thoughts on coronavirus, uh, the uh, the death of Kobe Bryant, uh, perhaps the the U.S. presidential election upcoming later this year, and more. That's next week on the program, Dr. Cass Ingram and Sloan Bella. Steve Ubaney stays with us, the author of Who Murdered Diana. This is the fourth in his Who Murdered series of books. And you can uh, pre-order who Murdered Diana, which is uh, the actual publication date is in May. If you go to whomurderedbooks.com, whomurderedbooks.com, all lowercase, and uh, you'll get yourself an autographed copy. Uh, we all remember those uh, images uh, very early on in, uh, in 97, uh, January, I believe. Uh, Princess Diana was Angola in Angola. Uh, she was meeting landmine survivors. She was... Uh, Raising the profile of the work being done to clear landmines, not only in Angola, but around the world. And, um, I want to, I want to get your take on whether her work in that field may have contributed to, to her death or her assassination. Well, Richard, that's a great point. We haven't talked about that yet. I was wondering, I was kind of wondering if we were going to get around to that because I think there's a lot of validity to that. Um, Princess Diana, outside of tweaking the nose of the royal family, she started, I mean, she was bigger than life. I mean, when she was, when she would speak, everybody would listen. And she started to get involved in international politics. 
Um, she started to talk about uh, anti-landmines, anti-weaponry, things, things like that. And, you know, she got involved in Bosnia, you know, that uh, afterwards with the landmines and so forth. And there's big money in war. There's big, big money in war. There's billions of dollars in war and arms brokers and machinery and weaponry and all kinds of stuff like that. So, you know, if she was threatening the livelihood of some of these people, there's motive all over that. And those are scares. So, well, like I said, like I've always said, they're kings and kingmakers. Those people would be some kingmakers. These are people who are really high behind the governments, real high up. So, you know, that's that's definitely uh, that's definitely a motive for sure. Well, the other interesting connection then with the landmines, I don't know if the Khashoggi family, of course, renowned, uh, you know, weapons sellers, arms sellers. Uh, were connected with landmines, but uh, Dodi, his mother was a Khashoggi. This was uh, Fayette's first marriage. Um, so, I don't know. Is there a connection there between the Khashoggi family? You know, that's really spooky. I uh, <laughs> My blood really ran cold when I ran across that. I had run across that. And here we have uh, Dodi's uncle is one of the biggest arms brokers in the world and you know well, what an interesting twist that is i i would love to say that that's uh more than a coincidence but i think that's all it is uh that would be uh that you know i mean i, I couldn't i had to read that three times when i ran across that in the research i just couldn't believe that you know that that was like that but you know i mean now and then you run across some things that just really really knock your socks off and that was one of the things that i uh, that i uncovered that i was really surprised with that all right, let's say hi to Francis in Toronto. Francis, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, good morning. Yes, a wonderful show, Richard. And and uh, I wanted to mention that I had the occasion to meet the best friend of Henri Paul. And he told me, this was in January 1997, he told me that Henri Paul was only a social drinker and he was absolutely honored to be the driver of Princess Diana and never would he take advantage or do any reckless reckless affairs around that position and absolutely he was not responsible well, now let me just get the timing straight here because they died in August of 97 you said sorry this was January 98 pardon 90, me okay well, that makes pardon sense me, that's right. okay. January 98 I, I had the occasion to meet him and of course it was still news of the day and he he was just adamant that his friend was would never be inebriated in his day-to-day living anyway especially shaking the world and seeing what falls this is the conspiracy show with richard serrett welcome back a few minutes remain with steve ubaney from who murdered books.com who murdered diana a crash by design. How do we respond to the critics who say that in order to have pulled something like this off, you would have had to have so many people in on it? So even, for example, the ambulance attendants. I mean, how would they have arranged that? How would they arrange to have the right people in the right you know, personnel in the right hospital? And then they'd all have to keep quiet. Surely, if there was a conspiracy, somebody would have, would have spoken out. How? This always comes out, you know, whenever we're talking about a conspiracy. Some people say, how do you keep something like this quiet? Well, I think with people like, um, well, the answer is you don't, which is 
why these things are coming out now. You know, after, and this has been 20 some years afterwards, you have deathbed confessions and people talking afterwards. But, you know, look, at the time, these people just follow orders. These people, you know, the people who, you know, the ambulance driver, he's doing what he's told to do. You know, so you have, you don't have to control all these people. You know, you don't have to do that. You know, it's, it's, you know, these people, you have to control, you know, a couple of people who are well paid or in the inside of uh, some sort of government agency who are telling people what to do and they are the superiors. So the other people just follow orders. Uh, Francis, if you're still listening, you know, what you said was very, very interesting about uh, Henri Paul's friend there in that interview. Uh, that, um, you know, speaking to that person in January of 98, um, connect with me on that. I would very much like to interview that person if, uh, if that's possible. So, uh, Francis, if you're still listening, thanks very much for your call. And, um, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to speak with you a little, little bit further on that. Francis was, uh, calling from Toronto. So if she wants, if she's listening still and she wants to get a hold of you, does she do that through the website? Yeah, she can do that through the website. If you go into connect, there's a form that you fill out. You can also connect with me on Facebook. It's Steve Ubaney on Facebook. Steven. That's right. actually with a PH. Steven. U-B-A-N-E-Y. Now, the brother of Prince Diana, the Earl of Spencer, to this day, he doesn't believe that there was a conspiracy. What are your thoughts on that? Wouldn't you think if anyone would be suspicious, it would be perhaps your brother? Or, you know, has he been maybe threatened into silence? What are your thoughts? I can't speak for him. Um, and I certainly don't know anything about threats like that. I'm just a little author, you know. I don't know what the royal family's up to. Um, you know, I think that it depends on how much you trust people. You know, I know that governments, include, including the United States government, has things like an act where they would, um, you know, plant false documents and things for people to find to throw them off the trail. And I have to bring up this Elvis Presley thing and, and uh, the uh, Elvis is Alive thing. The, the, what the evidence that they're finding is evidence that has been planted for them to find. So they're very good at this, getting in and giving disinformation and paperwork and this and that, because the more more time we spend looking for Elvis at Burger King, the less time we try and figure out what really happened. So they're good at this. So as far as as far as what that person believes, I can't answer for that person. But you know, it depends on how easily you or how gullible you are in certain situations. Me, I like to use the five times rule. I, I ask why, and I get an answer, and I ask why again, and I get an answer, and I ask why again, and I do it five times until I'm satisfied. Some people don't do that. Some people just come up with you know, okay, well it's that way, and they shrug their shoulders and move on, and that's fine if that works for them. It doesn't work for me. I interviewed one of the royal watchers who worked uh, at the time for one of the, the British newspapers. Uh, she lived in Hammersmith, and, and um, she told me – I'm not sure if she was referring to MI6 uh, Richard Tomlinson or someone else – had suggested to her that the plan was not to kill Princess Diana. It was just to put a scare in her real good, maybe even shake her up, injure her perhaps, but not kill her. What are your thoughts on that? Boy, that's that, that's even dangerous to even conceive and to think about. You know, there's all kinds of things out there that people say. I, and I, again, I have no idea. There's even a theory out there that I hope doesn't get any more traction than this. And I almost hate to repeat it that Dodie and and Diana faked their death. Please stop saying this. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you know. That's, I mean, this that, is that an, always happens, doesn't it? That always it, happens. It what an embarrassment to the royal family and to people who were who really like Princess Diana. You know, and I'm among them. You know, I thought she was. Pretty, pretty fantastic. 
The other report that I've heard from witnesses, and uh, obviously this this didn't come up in the two official inquiries, but there were reports from a witness that, again, coming back to that motorcycle, that mysterious motorcycle in front of the uh, in front of the vehicle, the Mercedes that flashed the bright light uh, after the car crash. Witnesses said the motorcycle stopped. There were two people on the motorcycle. The passenger in the back got off, ran over to the car, looked into the car, and then turned back to the the, uh, the driver of the motorcycle and crossed his arms, which apparently is some sort of uh, military symbol for we have a kill. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Did that come up in your research? It did. Absolutely. That was one of the people who were the witnesses to who spoke to the French police. And of course, that was, you know, of course, that was lost. But the car actually hit the pylon there and then spun around and ended up on the other side. So, I mean, it, it didn't, you know, somebody, one of the callers mentioned, you know, the, with the position of the car in on the, on the other side. That's how it happened. And it was, it hit and then spun around on the other side. So it was on the opposite wall. So it didn't just hit there. It, you know, I mean, this was substantial, what happened to this car. And, I mean, Mercedes, they're a well-built automobile. And, I mean, these things are tanks. You know, this is we're not dealing with a little chintzy car here. And that car was destroyed. So this was quite substantial, what happened. We just got a, a few minutes left here. Just without giving too much away, but we got to give us a little something here. Just run down sort of the list of suspects, maybe some that we haven't covered yet. Well, I, I go th- all through the royal family. I look at some of the arms brokers. I also look at the people who run the arms brokers. I'm into the uh, the Club of Rome, the Bilderberg Group. I take a look into all of those people and what their motives were. I look into the people who were behind the uh, behind the war in Bosnia and France and why the French and the British magically cooperate with each other when they haven't for, you know, I'm not even sure those two governments are friendly towards each other. And, of course, you know, I, I run down that, and then I really, I present the whole evidence, which no one has looked at, uh, in, you know, they look at it in the royal court. Well, again, the royal court is under commission of the queen, who definitely wanted this to go away because it was damaging their reputation and their, and their prestige. So I present the whole enchilada. I give all the evidence. I run down the motive, means, and opportunity. In the end, you're going to come up with what happens to her. And, you know, we're 22 years past, so, you know, almost all of the uh, persons of interest in this have passed away. So, you know, it's it's interesting. You have to wait. When something happens, everyone is looking and clamoring for information. Everything's tightly held. But as the decades roll by, you have evidence that comes up, but nobody's looking anymore. So this is this is the premise of how I write my books. I dig into research that is new to solve old things. And this is what my book is about. Whomurderedbooks.com, and you can pre-order that. The book is published in May. You can get an autographed copy from uh, Stephen. Whomurderedbooks.com, all lowercase. And up next, you mentioned, is Who Murdered Nikola Tesla? Yeah, Nikola Tesla, he really, <laughs> this was really something for the ages. His, uh, his modern technology put in jeopardy some of the people who were making millions and millions of dollars with obsolete technology. He also started to develop a death ray that he was trying to sell to the uh, United States government. And when they decided they wanted to go another way with the splitting the atom, you know, he was trying to sell this around the world. 
and it got him a lot of attention. So they find his body, and his room has already been ransacked. His files have already been taken. You know, I mean, this is, you can't make this stuff up. This is when this do we? Uh, when can we look forward to uh, who murdered Nikola Tesla? When that will that be later. Maybe? That'll be later this year. I'm putting two books out this year. So, who murdered Diane will be out in May. Tesla will be out in probably September. You're a busy man, my friend. Well, I don't sleep for a reason, Richard. <laughs> All right, Stephen. Thank you so much for this. Thanks very much, Richard. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks to all the callers, and get yourself a book. You won't be you won't be disappointed in this one. You'll like it. WhoMurderedBooks.com. All right, we'll talk again soon. Uh, my thanks to uh, Carlos and uh, to Ryan. Back next week with a brand new program. Dr. Cass Ingram and uh, Sloane Bella, LA psychic. She's always full value. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. <laughs>